From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we are a day late recovering from our annual buddy trip, but we are ready to talk about champion guardians, winning Browns, NFL Week 3, baseball history in the making, and our favorite casual topic over a round of drinks, urban planning. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, scale of one to five, one being 87% broken, five being functioning but not loving it. How are you feeling the day after our yearly trip ended? I'm toward a five. Um, I benefited from a very short commute back home, so I was uh, I was already detoxing only only 25 minutes after leaving our location this year. So I, I'm a, I'm a five. I'm I'm functioning. Yeah, I'm a five. Yesterday was was a little rough. Today was back to it, man. I wanted to take today off. Didn't work out for me. So went to work, came home, the babies and the kids, and I'll do the baby after this. So I'm a five. I'm a five too. I feel like I'm doing a okay considering what I've been through. Why don't we go ahead and get started? We'll stay at home, starting with our Guardians week cap, recapping the last week for the Cleveland Guardians. And man, that escalated quickly. The guards are now under investigation by the City of Cleveland Homicide Division because they murdered everyone this week, <laughs> winning their final game against the Twins, sweeping the White Sox, and then sweeping the Rangers to finish the week on a seven-game winning streak, 86-77 and 77 on the year, and now champions of the American League Central Division. Between September 9th and today, the guards were 16-2, and two. They played a total of 168 innings during that span and didn't have a single day off. Their run differential during that time was plus 37. In 13 of those games, they held opponents to four runs or less. What the hell did we just watch for the last 17 days? We watched the Defu guards is what we watched, right? I mean, they just dominated. They absolutely dominated. You alluded to that September uh, 9th day. I think on that day, we started the day a game and a half above the White Sox and the Twins. And then we rattled off 16 out of 18 wins and we're double digits ahead now. Yeah, they just dominated everyone in front of them. And I'll go back to this young team full of talent. Let them play every day. Let them play every day. They just keep rolling. I watched something I, I, I didn't fully expect, even with how well they were playing. I didn't think they would separate this much this quickly, but mostly what I watched was really good, fun, enjoyable baseball from a young baseball team that I didn't expect. This was the perfect time for it. And I think it was the first time this season we really saw the offense and the defense both do what they are capable of doing or maybe exceed what they are capable of doing because it really was dominant during that time. It was just, We're going to score more runs no matter what. Uh, Our pitching is going to keep us in every single game. And I think the only game they lost by any significant margin was that White Sox game where Hunter Gaddis pitched and gave up all those home runs. It was like 8-2. to The other game they lost, I think, was 3-0 to the Twins. Everything else, the offense was on, the pitching was on, the defense has been solid all year. I mean, it really was a complete performance for the 18 games they needed it to be to to put this division 
out of reach with another 10 games left in the season. It was really, really impressive what we watched. I mean, it, never something I thought we would see in that period of time for this team. Uh, scale of one to five, one being a three-pound teacup chihuahua, five being my 100-pound yellow lab Gus. How much dog shit should Elvis Andrus eat for his guards will crumble <laughs> comment a couple weeks ago? <laughs> Your dog's a hundred pounds. That's the five. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would go a little further and do like the beast from Sandbox. <laughs> yeah, like, like that amount of dog shit is what he should eat, man. Yeah, I'm gonna take a page out of uh, our boy Tom Burke's list and say it's a seven. It's a seven. That's how much dog shit they should eat on this scale. <laughs> Whatever we can get beyond Gus's pile of crap. I'm going to stick with five because I regularly have to clean up after my dog. <laughs> I, know, I know how much shit that is, uh, but Elvis Andrews deserves every bit of it, man. I'm not sure I've ever seen somebody uh, shit talk a Cleveland team and have it go so badly so quickly uh, as it did for that guy. The White Sox collapse over the last like week to 10 days has really been remarkable and that's saying something considering we saw the twins do almost the same thing like a week before them, you know? <laughs> so congrats on a great season, White Sox. You truly deserve it. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our MVG, our most valuable guard for the week. Stevie Juan Gonzalez hit 438 with two home runs and 10 RBIs. Andres Jimenez hit 417, had 10 hits, including a double, triple, and home run last week. James Karinchek made four appearances out of the bullpen, no runs, five Ks. Our starters, Cody Morris, Tristan McKenzie, Shane Bieber, Cal Quantrill, Aaron Savali, combined 6-0 and last week, and only Savali had an ERA over 3.5. So who's your MVG for the week? I'm going to give it to Quan because all those are fan. I mean, we went seven and zero over the week. So, you know, throw a dart at that list, but I'm going to give it to Quan because through all of it, he played in six of the seven games. He hit every way and every way imaginable, right? He led the team in base hits. He had a grand slam at some point in there. I dug a little deeper. He struck out one time, one time all week. And that's phenomenal. I mean, he, I, I don't know. Maybe you guys did, but I, I didn't even, I hadn't even heard of that guy before he got called up this season. If he doesn't win rookie of the year this year, he better be in the conversation of the finalists. That's for sure. Cause that's the kind of season he's having. They're all really great options, but I'm, I'm with Phil here because anytime you get that kind of production out of a leadoff hitter, I uh, had 10 or more RBIs. That's more than Ramirez or Naylor or anybody else. I think in the lineup over this run. So a guy who gets on base, a guy who doesn't strike out, and a guy who showed some power. I mean, he had a leadoff guy who looks like he weighs 140 pounds at a grand slam. So I'm giving it to Quan. I like that Phil has finally convinced you of the value of a leadoff hitter, <laughs> right. Chuck. It's taken Pretty all. Soon he'll, yeah. <laughs> it's taken 25 years, but he's That's finally right. got you. He's finally I, got you. I couldn't yeah. do it personally. But. <laughs> I think Quan maybe got into the rookie of the year conversation with that grand slam. Uh, I think that was a big enough moment to kind of clinch the division, even though they had already gotten it because the white Sox suck so bad. But I think that might be the moment that puts him in the conversation that he should have been in for the entire second half of the season. Uh, I'm giving it to the starters. Just an amazing job this week. Amazing considering like the burden of that schedule of having to play every day, coming off another week where you had played every day, plus a double header 
throw in those extra inning games that came to you needed the starting pitching to eat innings and pitch well and a lot of those guys did uh and that that was very valuable to winning seven straight games on to next week guards come home for the rest of the regular season they have three games against the rays starting on tuesday and then the first three of six straight against the royals to close out the season now that they've won the division and that's already locked up. How should the guards be managing the next six games? That's a good question. I, I think most of those guys should still play. I don't know if they're playing every day. Like you can rest a few everyday starters here and there. But as much as I say they play too much baseball, I think they're thriving on playing too much baseball. Plus, I think the the race series, especially because that might be who they're matched up with in the playoffs if it if it falls that way and they have the second best ERA in, in the AL. So once you get to Kansas city, okay. You know, like whatever you got to do to get through those games. But uh, I assume most of those guys keep playing. They, they've done it all year. So why not just keep going? I think the team's so young. I think you keep throwing the majority of them out there, but maybe every game or every other game, you give some of the, some of the guys that could use a day off or a couple days off in a row, depending on how that schedule uh, pans out, like a, like a Ramirez or a nailer, you sit them a bit and let some of these other young guys come in and play. And, you know, like even look, like Quan's an everyday guy. Right. But he didn't play every game in the last week. So, all right, you pick a game that makes sense to where he sits, but in the course of the next week, guys like Quan and Jimenez and Rosario, they get maybe one game off where maybe you get away with Naylor and Ramirez missing a game or two, depending on how they're feeling. Um, Naylor, not because he's old, but because he's beat up, right? Like that yeah. guy, like get him a bit of a rest. Maybe he DHs. Um, that would be, that might be an off day, although he tends to get hurt more when he's hitting than in the field. But uh, something like that, I think that's how it goes. I, I just feel like, hey, thank God we have Tito doing this because he's going to manage it the right way. Yeah, I think the trick is to try to find them some rest without disrupting like their normal flow mm -hmm. uh, and not disrupting what you've been doing all season long. Because you don't – I'm not a fan of you know the NFL teams that – bench their starters for the final week of the year because the, you know, the playoffs are coming and they've already locked up their spot or something like that. I think these guys need to play and they need to stay in their rhythm. There's guys who should get spot days off. And maybe if by the end of next week, you've rotated every guy into a day or two off randomly throughout the process or throughout these last two weeks, that's pretty good. I would try to rest the bullpen is about the only thing I would do um, because We've seen what happens when a bullpen gets too tired in the playoffs. I mean, I think, really think that's what happened in 2016. And so I'd like to see those guys get their rest. It feels like this is a great opportunity to throw Brian Shaw every day. <laughs> uh, and just to give give Henches some rest, give Karen Check some rest. You know, Class A might need a little bit of a break, man. He has not been as sharp the last couple of weeks as he was most of the season. So a little bit of that kind of stuff, but no, no major changes heading into the playoffs and still keep trying to win these games as we head to that playoff push. And uh, that's going to be really excited. I'm looking forward to next week when we can finally start talking about uh, who it's going to be and, and how they might match up with them. That's going to be a lot of fun for our American league central division champion, Cleveland guardians baby <laughs> yeah all right well leaving the guards on a high note uh let's move on to skid marks the brown and orange road to the super bowl our weekly look at the cleveland browns and before we get to the success they had on the field 
We'll start with expressing our best possible wishes to Miles Garrett and the passenger with him in a car accident today. So far, it appears everybody is going to be okay, but that it could have been much worse. And it's certainly bigger than anything that happens on the field. So our, our condolences, our best wishes, our hopes for a speedy and healthy recovery for anything that happened uh, to Miles and his passenger uh, in that accident today. Uh, what was happening on the field last week for the Browns was not too shabby. Browns played the Steelers on Thursday night last week and came out with, I don't know, let's call it a nice win over their biggest rival, 29-17. Browns are 2-1, and one, tied for first in the AFC North after that win. Defense, good news, bad news. No soul-crushing, game-costing, broken coverages, and they only gave up 17 points. But they didn't put the game away until the final play. They lost Anthony Walker for the season. Taven Bryan and JOK were both hurt, not sure yet what their status will be. And now Garrett is very rightfully a question mark for this coming week and, and maybe beyond that. So with all of that and what you saw during the game against the Steelers, what would you say is the state of the Browns defense right now? Uh, questionable <laughs> um, with all of that. Although I will say when Walker got hurt early in the second half, Phillips and Taki Taki stepped up. They they played well. They played fast. Uh, Phillips is the heir apparent to that to to Walker's position, and he gets playing time anyway. He gets rotated in, but he looked pretty good the rest of that game. So, you know, you can't sustain this many injuries on any side of the ball and feel like oh you're not going to skip a beat because you start to get thin pretty quick. So I say questionable because I feel like the the secondary made a step forward. There was no room to step backwards, but they made a step forward in that game. <laughs> and uh, you know, now we got to see like you got some you got some injuries in the in the front seven, so to speak, of that defense. And can some young guys step in and step up? They're a work in progress, even barring the injuries that happened. It seems like they fixed a lot of those communication issues and also seem like they're playing a little more man than zone. Uh, in the secondary, but you know, either they looked really good or the Steelers are really bad. And you know, I, I might be that the, the Steelers offensively aren't that great, but I'm pretty sure they they were like one for nine on third downs. And you know? so the defense was doing something right. Uh, and now that you're moving on to next week, those those injuries, you know, how how deep is this questionable or work in progress defense? I, I liked, I thought they played a lot better even when they didn't get to Trubisky. Are they one one sack maybe? Mm-hmm. But again, uh, it's it's hard to judge against that Steeler team because they have weapons. But maybe maybe Trubisky just is, isn't the dude for that offense. I don't know. So I take it as a, a step in the right direction for him. I would say the defense is improving, but it's limited. I think we saw the same thing with the game this week was that that secondary played a lot more man than zone. But in the NFL, if you're one dimensional on defense, you're in big trouble. Like they have to be able to play zone too. They can't just play man the rest of the year. Uh, I think there's a lot of reason to be happy with what they did. I mean, listen, they won the game. They held the Steelers to only three points in the second half. They they had those good stats on third down. There's a lot of positive stuff there, uh, even if it's against a team that's not that good. If they're going to be limited in what kind of schemes they can run because they can't figure out how to, you know, not let anybody beat them deep late in a game that is going to limit what that Browns defense can do. And that's going to be a problem. The injuries, man, they're just part of it. We see it every year. Uh, I I do think that Walker going down really, really hurts, but I think they've got depth there. I think they've got depth at that position and they they're going to be able to 
to fill his shoes, so to speak, for the rest of this season. But never good to be talking about injuries this early on, especially the season-ending kind. Tell me something good, Chuck. Well, there's there's a lot to look at on offense, I guess, from a good perspective that Brissett now threw to two receivers for most of the game instead of one, like he did in the second and the first game. Uh, Najoku was, was mixed in. Uh, to the offense really well with a touchdown and nine grabs. That's that's huge. So I, I like the fact that Brissett spread the ball. And I say spread the ball around because he literally threw to somebody other than Armani Cooper in this game. It seemed like whatever the Browns wanted to do from a running standpoint, they did. Uh, especially Nick Chubb, man. Like I read a lot of the quotes from the Steeler players, and it seemed like their game plan was to stop Nick Chubb. And they're like, he did what whatever he wanted. And we were just dominated physically. That's what... Your main, at least in my mind, our main rival was saying we were dominated physically. So that's what I take away, that the Browns did exactly what they wanted to do against what, even with Watt out, a pretty good defense. It's just funny for me for two reasons. First, this is the second week in a row Chuck has called him Armani Cooper. I'm sorry. His his name's Amari. Armani I like was Armani better. That's for, uh, a cologne Armani, right? Like Armani. No, no, no. Armani was the, <laughs> was the limo driver in the original Die Hard. <laughs> of course <laughs> it was. Bruce Will. Uh, and the other thing is, is Chuck did all the good things, Phil. This is like he burked you. Like when Burke right. used to just name all the good players and leave you with nobody to talk about. This was no, a I lot got, of fun. I Go got ahead, something. <laughs> I got something. I got another good thing because everything Chuck said is exactly right. And he just picked it right off my list. But there's one. This is my my good thing. Brissett looks to be in command of this offense. For for what he is and what we need him to be, he he used his tight ends, he used his wide receivers, and he used his two running backs for the second week in a row. And it looked like they were moving the ball pretty well, you know, most of the game. I know the it, it was slow going in the first half. I think halftime score was what 14, 13, something like that. So, you know, it was a weird kind of uh not a true weather game, but there were some elements there too, but he was moving the team down the field and he looks to be in command of whatever chunk of the offense that Stefanski has given Jacoby Brissett to command. And I think that makes me feel better about the next eight games because we have no choice, but to hope Brissett is in command of this offense. We start calling him Armani Brissett. We could. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Dolce and Gabbana, Brissett? I don't know. <laughs> Every week. I'll switch it up. Might be cool water. Yeah. <laughs> Cooper next time. Cool water Cooper is actually water a Cooper. great nickname. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like that. We have, we have stumbled upon something tonight. This is fantastic. <laughs> My good thing was Brissett as well. Uh, just a pro on and off the field. And, and I'm a guy who, I've said before, I was a Baker fan. Uh, I, I thought the Browns could win games with that guy. I don't think it was fair how he was judged last year because he was hurt. But there's something really nice about watching consistent, solid quarterback play that never makes you yell at your television. And then a guy who never creates an issue in a post-game interview. Just goes up there, says the things that need to be said, says the right things, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't create any noise. Just goes about his wit his business and has won them two out of the first three games um, and cannot be blamed for losing the one that they did. Brissett is something good. And I agree, Phil, it's really nice to be able to relax a little bit and just kind of enjoy this for, you know, the next eight games and, and hope that it continues to turn out well for this team. Let's move on to our most valuable Brown. And we'll start with Jacoby Brissett. 
21 for 31, 220 yards, two TDs, no picks. Uh, next one, Nick, the MVP Chubb, 23 carries, 113 yards, one touchdown. Next one, Amari Cooper, <laughs> seven receptions for 101 <laughs> yards. Uh, last one, because I feel like you got to find somebody on defense. Uh, Jacob Phillips stepped in, got seven tackles and a sack after uh, Walker went out. I actually think I have someone that you didn't mention. All right, good deal. Yeah, uh, did you mention the chief? Was Najoku on your list? He was uh, not. No. I want to give it to him because I think so many times we go the other way with this guy, and you're just like, "Geez, you are not living up to expectations." And he set a he set a career best again, not the highest bar, but he set a career best in receptions before halftime uh, with seven, and he had only two more in the second half. But he was targeted ten times and caught nine balls. He became that tight end to where it looked like Brissett just get get the ball in his hands and let him lower his shoulder and gain another five yards or throw the ball seven to nine feet off the ground where only he is going to catch it in the back of the end zone. So it was a, it was a tandem there with Brissett and 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 Joku. But I'll give him my most valuable guard because I think that that tight end position we needed we needed that this week and we got it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I hadn't felt the need to be fair and put somebody from the defense on the list. Uh, Njoku obviously would have been the next guy. Would have been yeah, the next I guy. I don't blame you. All your choices were fantastic. I could have just rattled them all off right back to you. They were all great. <laughs> cool water. What do you got? <laughs> uh, I'm For all the reasons I said earlier, I'm going with Nick Chubb again. Uh, 113 yards, by the way. 102 of those yards were after contact. So That's ridiculous. Um, Right. So average almost five yards a carry had a touchdown again. Uh, they tried to stop him and could not. So he's my MVB. Yeah. I think we might need to just start naming this award after him. <laughs> yeah, right. Instead of the most valuable Brown will be like, okay, who's Nick Chubb for this week? <laughs> he is what makes that offense run uh, and you can't stop him. And he, he seems to get better every game. Uh, and he was great on Thursday night for the Browns. So he gets my MVB as well. Moving on to next week, Browns on the road to Atlanta to play the one and two Falcons. And the Falcons may be better than we think. They've had close losses to the Saints and the Rams, and they beat the Seahawks last week. So preseason, we all picked the Browns to win. Anybody want to change? Nope. No. I'm not going to change these. I, I still don't think they're any better than we thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> With that, fellas, why don't we close out our skid mark segment we'll take our first break we'll come back out on the road talk some more nfl welcome back fellas to our second segment we will head out on the road and let's start with nfl week three storylines there are currently only three undefeated teams only one winless team Everybody else in the NFL is two and two or one and two. Is the league really this even or will the dominant teams show their dominance and the shitty teams show their shittiness as the season moves on? Yes. Yeah. Cream rises to the top. Shit sinks to the bottom. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Still really early in the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I This season, it's a long season and the good teams will find themselves with good records and everyone else is going to regress toward the mean in the middle of the line or, or beyond it. Uh, some like the giants who are flirting with being undefeated here. Uh, they, they could rattle off seven or eight losses in a row. So I agree with you guys 
when it comes to the AFC, because I think there are some really, really good teams. I think we just know the Chiefs and the Bills are awesome. Uh, and the mm. Dolphins might be awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and to be fair, maybe the Ravens are in the mix there too, because they're starting to play really well too. I mean, at least offensively, they look really good. So I think the AFC will separate. But in the NFC, I don't know if I see that much separation. I don't know. Who, who is the really good dominating team in the NFC right now? Right now, three weeks in, I don't know that we know the answer to that. I think I think the Rams could be that. I think the Buccaneers could be that, except Tom Brady might be old now. I don't know. We'll see. It's so early. It is so early. So I think those teams could be that team that really separates out. But you're right. After that, there's a whole lot of teams that are going to look like the NFC East of the last few years, right? Uh, you know what? I'll take that back. I just thought of something. Yeah. You miss Philadelphia one. Eagles yes, look absolutely. really, really good okay. in the yeah. NFC. In fact, if I had a pick on week three, they are the dominant team in the NFC. Yeah, they'll name the three teams I would. I took them all. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just stole you my, my thing. Uh, You've been I think the Buccaneers are going to win a lot of games, but I don't think they're going to dominate a lot of them. You can just see them somehow finding a way to win. Uh, the Rams look a little bit better, but the Eagles look like they would fit with with you're saying like the bills um, or even maybe Miami uh, that offense looks great. The defense looks good too. They're a dynamic team that might make a real run. So if you're telling me in week three right now, who's the best team in the NFC for, for me, just because watching some of the games, the Eagles, I, I think in the AFC, even though we're only three games in, we know the chiefs and the bills have the opportunity to be dominant. I think the difference in the NFC is, Every single one of those teams, even the Eagles, have question marks. I mean, in the end, the Eagles haven't put together a dominant season or a dominant playoff run the way we've seen the Rams do last year, the Buccaneers do in the past, the Packers do in the past, or how we've seen the Chiefs do it year after year after year lately, and the Bills start to show signs of being able to do it last year. So I look at the NFC and I say, this is completely wide open. We, we don't know yet, and I think that's the difference with the AFCs. I think we kind of know that even though both the Chiefs and the Bills are 2-1, and one, I fully expect those teams to win you know 12 or 13 games this year, uh, whereas I just don't – I don't know that I see anybody who clearly will do that in the NFC. All right, so which one of these was the worst loss of the weekend? 49ers lost 11-10 to 10 to the Broncos. How – stupid was that game <laughs> the chiefs lost 20 to 17 to the colts the chargers lost at home 38 to 10 to the jags uh, well the stupidest loss of the weekend i i guess is the 49ers worst 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 loss broncos was just you just said it was stupid game, game. i agree with that That's 100%. Just a one stupid that is game. that yeah. is a stupid game the worst loss is the Chargers losing uh, and and in getting shellacked by Jacksonville. You wonder how hurt Herbert is. That's that's a high powered offense that amassed ten points against Jacksonville in San Diego. Is that right? Yeah. Was that at home? Yeah. Or they, they play don't play there. LA they play now. in LA now, right? Yeah. I'm catching yeah, for up. Several seasons. Catching up. The Eagles are off to a really good start this year. <laughs> <laughs> Randall Cunningham is their quarterback. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. Um, yeah, the L.A. Chargers at home in L.A. 
uh, got destroyed. Uh, they, that was that was the worst loss of those three. I don't think Jacksonville is as bad as as everybody else thinks. I mean, the Chargers left tackle really got hurt, and that's a big problem because I guess they have nobody there. And I think Bosa got hurt. One of the Bosa's, they all get hurt. Uh, so that Charger team's in real trouble. But I think that the Jaguars are a pretty good team. Like, they have some weapons on offense, and their defense plays pretty well. But the stupidest game is is the Niners. Like, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, what are you doing, buddy? Like, you know, the, to step out in the back of the end zone. I was yeah. like... Oh no, but at least they won't keep showing that that lion quarterback doing it again for you know like 15 oh, years of seeing that dude. All day. Oh, were they doing it all day? Yeah, they oh, kept showing him. Yeah. There yeah. you go. So did you notice yeah. on that play though? He threw a pick six. So it was actually yeah. better. Yeah. It was better. <laughs> it actually helped they got his team. points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's funny when we all go a different direction. I'm gonna say it's the Chiefs losing to the Colts. Uh, because the 49ers and Broncos was just a stupid game. That Chargers loss, I think, can be explained away by the fact that they really have a lot of injuries. And, like, Herbert seems to be hurt for real. Without that guy, I don't think that offense runs. So you almost kind of see how a weird result like that happens. But what's the Chiefs' excuse for losing to the Colts? Colts have looked terrible the first two weeks of the year. Losing that one was just bizarre to me. I, I was really surprised. So that would be my worst loss of the week last week. How are we feeling about the one and two, but still love you Detroit Lions after they blew a late lead against the Vikings? <laughs> I st- it's a young team that's got a, you know, sometimes you hear coaches talk about learning to win. And I think the Vikings are okay. I thought they were really good week one, and then they were poo poo week two, and then they looked okay week three. I still feel good about I still feel good about our Lions, man. I think they're going to be okay. They just they need to learn how to close out games, much like another team that we really like. Have we seen this before somewhere? I still feel okay about the Lions, thinking that a good season for the Lions is like eight and nine or nine and eight, right around that five hundred mark. Right, this young team they've got some stars on it now. They've got a a coach that we all gravitate toward, and he's energetic. So yeah, I think they're moving the right direction. They're not a playoff team this year. I, I don't think, um, but yeah, I, I feel fine about them. I still think they're going to, they can win more than they lose this year. Comparing them to the Browns is, is very appropriate. Uh, maybe not this year's Browns team, but maybe like two years ago, Browns team got some talent, new coach, young team. And, and Chucky is right. Trying to figure out how to win games that that's what they're trying to do. But I can tell you, uh, I was in a bar for the end of that game on Sunday afternoon here in Michigan and you hear all the things we used to say about the Browns, and we sometimes, I think, still do. It's like, oh, typical Brown, typical Lions. Knew that was coming. Knew he was going to throw a pick there. Knew they weren't going to get that first down. So I'm still a believer in the Lions going eight and nine or nine and eight, uh, but they do need to learn to close out those games. All right, let's take a look around at some of the divisions. NFC West. The Rams are two and one. The 49ers, Cardinals, and Seahawks are one and two. Are any of those teams a team that makes you excited? No, none of those teams really make me excited. I, I not at all. Uh, I think the Seahawks are, are they're, they're in it for the draft picks. Arizona should be better than they are on the offensive side, but I don't know that they're a very complete team when you really look at that roster. San Francisco, uh, I'm not excited about at all. I don't, I, I feel like we've seen this before and maybe Jimmy G writes that ship, but they, you know, they're not an exciting team and the Rams while they're two and one and, and probably the best team top to bottom in that, in that division, 
I don't know. Are they hung over from the Super Bowl win? They've got another older quarterback. Does he stay healthy this year? So no part of that division makes me turn a game on if the Browns aren't playing against one of them. I'd I'd still watch the Rams. They still excite me as a team because they won the Super Bowl last year and they still have some really good offensive weapons. And I watched some of the, because I had Red Zone yesterday, I watched some of that and Cam Akers looked like he had a game where he hasn't really played much in the first two. So they excite me. Everybody else, not so much other than I'm starting to feel good that that the Cardinals might stink. Like, I don't know why I want to hate them, but I want to hate them this year. So there you go. (laughs) My irrational feelings for the Dolphins are the same as yours for Ah. the Cardinals, I suppose. Yeah, I guess I'm like a, I'm like a little bit excited about the Rams. Everybody else in that division kind of looks like they might be a little bit rotten or a lot of bit rotten. All right, how about the AFC South? Jaguars two and one, Colts one one and one, Titans one and two, Texans zero oh and two. Is this division being won with a losing record? No, the Colts I think were banged up defensively early on, so maybe they got some of their players back, and that's why they 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 played the Chiefs pretty well. I think you know I expect the Colts to be the best team in that division. However, if Jacksonville continues, that excites me. If a team that isn't, well, I take that back. They're good. Like every seven years, they do some, they make some sort of run or they become a trendy, sexy pick. But if, if they put it together with young talent, I, I'm excited to watch that. I don't think the division is one with a losing record. Jacksonville, correct me if I'm wrong. Jacksonville has had a solid defense yes. in, in the last few yep. years, right? Like they're, that is, they've been the strength of their team. So if some of these offensive playmakers are starting to come in their own against, you know, behind a, a Trevor Lawrence, th- that could be the team that that gets the 11 wins this year and, and wins that division. The only one that's that could compete with them is this Colts team. And that that really comes down to how healthy that is. That team is. I mean, they've got the preeminent running back uh, and they've got a quarterback that has all the experience in the world and good wide receivers. It just can they stay healthy. Uh, and can they get healthier if they're banged up right now as the season goes on before they find themselves too many ties behind Jacksonville? Man, I think we're are we discounting the Titans because they they haven't looked great early? Like they're a team that's always kind of been there at the end, you know, and they make a run yeah. at the end. I guess I, I, mean, I feel right. really bad about their quarterback play this year. Yeah. Like I, I you, yeah. you're, you're like ah, uh, like I. In, in, unless they teach Henry how to throw the ball too, like it's almost <laughs> like what their quarterback play is not great. Yeah, yeah I, I think the warranty might be up on Tannehill uh, <laughs> yeah. at the end of last season, and that and that's kind of why I, I don't trust Matt Ryan at this stage in his career to to lead a team to a winning record or to a division title. Uh, I, I think that he's he warranty might be up on him too. And I don't know if you can count on the Jags to put it all together this year and have a winning record. That's why I think somebody might win this at eight and nine. We'll see. All right. AFC North real quick Ravens two and one. They get the bills next week. Are the Ravens winning that game? That's a good game. Uh, I'm going to say no. I think the bills are probably pretty pissed off coming, coming out of the, that, that their last game while they are two very good game teams. I should say, I think the bills get that one. That's going to be a that's going to be a great showdown uh, between two quarterbacks that are really two of the top guys in the AFC right now. Where's that game at? You know, is it in Buffalo? I'm or... sorry, man, I didn't look. Yeah, I, didn't... I think the Ravens have scored more points than any team in the in the AFC. That offense right. looks fantastic. Uh, the defense not as strong as we've seen in years yeah. past. Uh, and Buffalo's dealing with injuries. I toss up, but I'm 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 hoping the Bills. Phil might be a little bit right there. They, they might feel wronged by what happened in Miami. So maybe they take care of business. Yeah, I think the Bills take that one too. 
All right, Bengals, one and two. They get the Dolphins next week. The Bengals winning? It's a quick turnaround, right? I think that's Thursday night. I think it's a Thursday night game. I think so. it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, No, I think your favorite AFC team, other than the Browns, I think the Dolphins are going to win that game. The Bengals are losing it. Uh, yep, Dolphins win that one. All right, I think the Bengals are winning that one. Not just because I hate the Dolphins, <laughs> but because I hate the Dolphins. All right, Steelers, <laughs> one and two. They get the Jets next week. The Steelers winning? Yeah, I think we're the only one in our division that's going to lose to the Jets as this season. <laughs> comes. Like we, Each team gets to play them once, and we will end up being the only one to lose to them the way we lost to them. So, yeah, I, I give that to the Steelers. Same, yeah. I think the Steelers get a win. I don't think so. Joe Flacco oh. is the fifth-rated quarterback in the AFC based on yards thrown for this season. I think he gets it done against that Steelers defense. All right, that's enough NFL. Let's move on, talk a little bit of baseball, talk some home runs. Albert Pujols got to 700. Babe Ruth had 714. Is Pujols sticking around for one more season to pass Ruth, or will he play until he's 50 to catch Bonds? (laughs) That dude is already 50, and you cannot (laughs) convince me otherwise, but he's going to (laughs) play. He's going to play until he's 57 to pass bonds. He's going to sign one-year deals with St. Louis, and he'll just keep playing DH till he has the record. Chuck, what do you think? You think he'll stick around for another year to catch the babe? I, I think, yeah, because I don't know if it's to catch the babe, but I think he's he's a productive guy who's hit yeah. a lot of home runs, and why not bring him back if he's still swinging it? Like, it's a good year to go out if he wanted to. Either way, yeah, um, I think he plays another year just because he was really productive this year. It wasn't like he hit 140 in five home runs, so why not? If you can hit 20 home runs in the major leagues, you should play the next season to see, if you know, even if you tail off a little bit, you might hit 15, uh, you're still going to be a productive bet. All right, Aaron Judge is still at 60 with 10 games to go. That includes tonight's game. Still seems like he's going to get to his 61. If the season ended today, Judge would sort of win the triple crown in the American league by leading the league in average home runs and RBIs. He is alone in the lead for home runs and RBIs. He's tied for first with average. That's why I'd say like, he'd only sort of win it. What's more impressive 61 or the triple crown. And let me give you some context. Triple crown. It's happened 10 times in the American league since 1901, but only once since 1967. Only five players ever have hit more than 60 home runs. Ruth, Bonds, Maris, McGuire, and Sosa. Only two of those guys, Bonds and Maris, did it without steroids. So what's more impressive, 61 home runs or the Triple Crown? That's right, I said it. I said it. Baseball, you just threw so many stats out in 23 seconds that my mind hurts. I think the Triple Crown is more impressive, especially in this day and age. I don't know how many players in Major League Baseball, let alone the American League, are hitting above 300. So for a guy who's doing that with that amount of power, too, uh, that's the most impressive thing. You don't get Triple Crown uh, winners all that often, especially since you laid them out since the last one was, what, 60s or 70s? Well, it's happened once in 67. Miggy won it Maybe, in yeah. um, sometime oh, in the okay. 20 teens, I think, right? Yeah, still. So the whammer was on steroids, apparently. I, I think uh, the Triple Crown is is more impressive. It is, especially in the kind of baseball that we've seen play 
pretty much our entire lifetime, right? I mean, it's to, to be able to, to hit for power and still lead the league in average, that doesn't, well, not only does it not happen often, it happened once in our lifetime when Cabrera did it. So that's way more impressive. That not, not to take away from the 60-plus home runs. Clearly, that doesn't happen every year either. But I feel like there's guys that have been flirting with that, and it takes a special season to line up a triple crown. I thought it would be easy when I started looking at it and thought, I would be with you guys with the triple crown because it just seems to be like the total package and such a rare thing. But at the same time, 60 home runs has only happened five times or only five guys have done it. I don't know if McGuire and Sosa did it more than once or Bonds did it more than once. Um, Bonds did. I think Bonds did. Yeah, Bonds must have, sure. But for only five dudes ever to do it, that's that's pretty crazy. Like that means it's it it is in the course of baseball history, I, I think it's more rare than the triple crown. Yeah, but but since 1967, only two dudes have done the triple crown, and before that, people were right. winning the triple crown with like 14 home runs. <laughs> you know, so that's yeah, true. that's true. There's that's that, true. And, and and there is a <laughs> it, it is a much different way of playing baseball now. Even this season, the home runs, I think, are probably down around the league, except for a guy like Judge, who's putting up such big numbers. So, yeah, I get it. There's a lot of different ways to look at it from that perspective of what was it like in 1903 to win the Triple Crown, you know, with one home run and, you know. (laughs) That guy um, got all the way around the bases. What do we call that? (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 you know, we go all the way to the fact that Babe Ruth never had to hit off of three different pitchers in a single game, but Aaron judge has to be ready to hit off of three or four different guys in a game, depending on the situation, the way things have changed with pitching Again, it's one of those things. that's really hard to compare them. Um, I'm going to say it's a tie 61 home runs and the triple crown are exactly <laughs> as impressive. Uh, and if I don't know if judge does both this year, I guess that makes him the greatest hitter of all time. <laughs> Um, but we're going to leave it at that fellas. We're going to take our final break. We're going to come back off the field and talk about improvements in Cleveland. Welcome back fellas to our final segment. We'll head off the field for from the land waterways and walkways. Our look at current affairs in urban planning. Perhaps the topic we are most unqualified for of all the things we've ever discussed off the field. But it came to mind for this week because last week, Cleveland Mayor and recent high school graduate Justin Bibb announced the beginning of a search for a consultant team to develop a people-oriented development plan that would give Clevelanders new access to 14 miles of the North Coast Line in Cleveland. Anyone in Cleveland knows the coast of Lake Erie downtown is underutilized or is at least not really user-friendly for most of the greater Cleveland population. 78% of the Lake Erie shoreline, about 23 and a half miles, is rendered inaccessible by private property, rail lines, highways, and of course, Tom Burke Lakefront (laughs) Airport. (laughs) Also... The coast of Lake Erie is not the only waterfront uh, at issue. There's a lot of waterfront along the Cuyahoga River in downtown Cleveland as well. I think it's big news that, again, somebody is trying to kind of take that area uh, on the north edge of town, on the lake, and develop it for 
more uses for people. And I think that would be a great thing for the city if it could actually get done. I think that in part because of places I have been with downtowns with good waterfronts and what they have done with it that maybe Cleveland doesn't. And so I wanted to try to get an idea of maybe some of these spots you guys have been in. Chicago has a great lakefront and a well-developed riverfront uh, throughout its downtown. San Antonio has a famous uh, waterway and uh, river walk there. Pittsburgh does pretty well with three rivers. San Francisco, Miami, like South Beach. What are these getting right that we aren't? It's it's comparable to where I live uh, here in Erie. It's it's a smaller, ver- much smaller version of Cleveland, but industry was built on those waterfronts a very long time ago. Not only, especially here, like the teardown and the cleanup, they've torn down a lot of stuff on our bayfront here, but it's they can't build on it because the, the soil samples are so polluted so deep that they have to wait a certain amount of time or the amount to clean that soil is ungodly. I assume some of that happens there in Cleveland too. Uh, but what what have those cities gotten right? Most of them that you mentioned uh, are all bigger than Cleveland. San Antonio's bigger, Miami's bigger, Pittsburgh's probably comparable. I, I still think they, they, they've done a lot right. Uh, being there this weekend and seeing, not that we were close to the water, but how the neighborhood we were in has changed since I lived in Cleveland, it seemed far more vibrant. Uh, and I'm a big believer that if you pump a lot of money into your bayfront, into your lakefront, the money moves back towards downtown. It seems that what happened with Cleveland when they redid the flats, it's happened here in Erie when they did the bayfront. Now it's kind of moving back downtown. They're giving most of the city a facelift. So I don't know what those cities have got right, other than they have a bigger population and probably more forward-thinking people in a position that that said whatever it was five years ago or 10 years ago, hey, let's hire a consulting group to go, what are we doing wrong? And how can we get more access to this these waterways, uh, whether it's art districts or restaurant bars or whatever it is, uh, and watch watch that become more accessible to a population that's been kept away from it, except if there was a shitty stadium down there. I think you're right that Pittsburgh is comparable. Oklahoma City also has a river walk that's been pretty well developed, and I don't think that's a city that's too much bigger than Cleveland. So I'm not sure I agree that it's the the size necessarily. I do agree with the part about better decision-making uh, and more maybe more forward-thinking. I, I agree with that take. I was, I was thinking Pittsburgh was the easiest comp there, but I, as I think about these cities, and even when you threw Oklahoma City in there, I've, I've been to most, if not all of them, other than Oklahoma City, and Cleveland is moving, I think, in the right direction here with the combination of downtown residents. That's a big deal. Chicago, there's a ton. San Antonio, there's a ton. Like those other San Francisco, there's a ton. Cleveland struggled with that for a long, long time. There was a mass exodus from living within the confines of the city, like downtown, even before we were born, and it stayed that way. You know, oh, yeah. they it's it's the greater metropolitan era area that makes them even a medium-sized city, right? Uh, if if they just look at the uh, inhabitants of, of Cleveland City itself, it's not that big, but that's changed a little bit. And maybe that goes hand in hand with a young leader, too. Now that, you know, 18 uh, year old Mayor Bibb is in charge, he's going to be a little bit more forward thinking. And maybe his peers are the folks that are like, all right, listen, I, I want this urban lifestyle. I want to live downtown. I want to work downtown. I want there to be parks and access to other things downtown as opposed to this suburban kind of sprawl we've experienced in Northeast Ohio, where it just goes as far as you can, East and West and South. Um, and it, it could be, you know, who's going downtown if you're living 
45 minutes southeast or west of town. So that's changing a little bit. So maybe we the, the comp there is Pittsburgh. I'm not sure. Chuck would probably know better than me. I'm not sure how much. Is there a youth movement in Pittsburgh? Is there, a, you know, more residents downtown Pittsburgh? They get they get away a little bit. They have less waterfront to deal with. They've got some rivers. We got a gigantic yeah. lake, <laughs> you know. But uh, so we're like a mini version of Chicago. That's a bigger uh, exactly. That's a yeah. bigger asset. We we should that's what be I mean. doing. We should be doing way more than we, them with by having that. Well, that's what I mean. Like they might have gotten this wave ahead of us, and there was just less of area for them to develop. So they've done a better sure. job with it. Uh, and here we are, uh, finally looking at can we get money and that's been the problem in cleveland is can we get money can we get that combined with the youth movement of residents of downtown cleveland and then a, a young forward-thinking leader in my experience of those cities that i listed most of which i have been to i think san antonio is the only one that i hadn't been to is that there was a a plan very clearly at some point to get that population to the water as much as possible we're going to put restaurants there we're going to put housing there we're going to put beaches in uh, you know the city of chicago made a decision at some point early in its history to guarantee public access to that beach on the north side of town and it's one of the most unique beaches i think you can go to in america that it's right there at the edge of the city it's crazy that they have that but it's a huge draw and it's that type of thing that brings the people into the downtown and keeps them there when they're young and even when they're not, because it's it's a great environment to live in. I just think you want to get to water and you got to figure out ways to put people on the water and give them a chance to live on the water, because I think that just naturally as human beings, we like that. I enjoy myself much more living in Michigan with access to Lake Michigan than I did living in a desert in las vegas with access to no water anywhere <laughs> gotta find a way to do that and i agree with what you guys are saying about ohio city where we were this past weekend for the trip it's not that far from getting to the river uh and that that is a place that's easily accessible walking or biking uh not having to drive and if that area was developed more and maybe chuck they're running into some of the same problems that you guys are seeing in erie where you got to wait for the environmental part of it to clean up because it's the same type of area down there i'm yeah. sure but you get that cleaned up man and there is um huge potential and, and i think a, in a very big drawing point to getting people down there and getting them to enjoy their spaces more um, in cleveland so chuck you kind of started down this path a, a little bit um but i kind of wanted to circle back and kind of touch on what changes have you seen in the development in your own community that you think would be applicable to maybe what Cleveland is kind of trying to strive for? I don't know that, you know, you and I both live outside of Cleveland, but Danko, you, you haven't been a downtown resident ever. No. Right. Uh, I don't think so. I, it's, and you, I, you live in a growing part of that area as well out in the Willoughby area. So what do you think you've seen there? that maybe works there and would work in a larger community like Cleveland too. You know, I guess where I actually, where I live in this area is a, it's a pretty wide variety mix of people in both age, socioeconomic background, all sorts, which is great. Like all that's good. I don't know that I could take anything from this near East side suburb and directly relate it to what what they should be doing in cleveland i think what they what they should really be doing in cleveland is is 
things like we discussed, like get waterfront land to be attractive to not just the young residents in the high rises in downtown Cleveland, but the people like us, people like us that I live, I'm, I'm a 20 minute drive from downtown. I mean, that's nothing, right? So 20 minute drive. I want to go down there and go to a park on the, uh, on the water or a beach on the water or something that's, I can spend a day doing and stay downtown. And that doesn't exist quite yet in terms of the green space, I guess, or a beach space, that kind of thing. I mean, they're there. We saw a little bit of it this weekend. I mean, that, that whole walkway that Gerbs, you and I were on from Merwin's work, that's all Metro parks. So you see more and more Metro parks involvement. And I actually read a press release, I think earlier this week about the Metro parks getting involved with Mayor Bibb with some of the lakefront development too. So that made me feel pretty good because that's an organization that does a really good job throughout the suburbs in Northeast Ohio. So if they start putting some park space, but still usable space for other things, restaurants, bars, they could do both as we saw at Merwin's Wharf, they, they combine the two things. Uh, that would be that would be helpful in downtown. Chuck, what about you? You you talked about it some already about some of the changes you've seen in Erie in the fifty years that you've been there. Um. <laughs> and so so Erie's somewhat unique uh, for for a number of different reasons. We have a bay, and then we have Presque Isle here, which has eleven beaches. Right, so I'm in a unique spot where. It takes me 20 minutes if I want to go to a beach, one of 11, and they all have different themes, and it's it's really great. And the best part of it, obviously, uh, is a big deal here in Erie. It's free. The city has done a nice job, too, over the past five years doing events in the downtown area to specifically bring different people in, family-friendly events. Again, most of these are free events where they close off streets. They could be block parties with bands. It could be a three-day festival like Celebrate Erie, and then like the stuff... That exists everywhere. You have a rib fest or what, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. But, but what they, what they've tried to do is they built housing. Like I witnessed where we were at, right? You saw, I saw what looked like very nice apartments or, or condos going up new builds. They did that here within the last five years and they couldn't give them away. The price mm. point in Erie is always a problem, right? Like Erie's a really cheap town. I mean, like when they go out, if a beer is over like $3, they throw up their arms and scream. Uh, so when you put in a new townhouse in downtown, which is considered a food desert in this country, uh, downtown Erie is a food desert and you want to sell them for 175000 People are like, never. They would, they, and, and think about that. Like 175,000 yeah. buys yeah. you a whole lot of nothing in Cleveland, yeah, right. you know, like, or yeah. in Pittsburgh or in Buffalo. Uh, so, so what can Cleveland do? They probably already do it. Like these, these things that draw family friendly events uh, to your downtown area where people feel a, a sense of community, uh, no matter what the event is, where they feel safe. That's kind of been the big deal that's happened here over the last 10 years where they're highlighting all these parks we have, not just downtown, but around the downtown area. But most of it, again, the community I live in, it has to be a free ride. But I assume anywhere, you know, like if you have a family of four, it'd be nice to not to walk into a ticketed event. So something that draws attention to how vibrant your community is. Cleveland's done a really nice job of that. I, I've, I've lived here, like you've said, for 50 years, and I don't get home or out in downtown as often as I'd like to, but when I do, I'm constantly impressed with what changes have come and what, what is so different than what my memory was of that place when I was in college. We're all kind of dancing around the same thing. I like that. You know, I live in a really small town. Like there is almost nothing you can compare from Ludington, Michigan to Cleveland, especially when you're talking about size. Uh, but I will say that 
you know, years ago, they blocked off a section of one of our two main roads downtown, James Street and Ludington Avenue. They blocked off a section of James Street. It was kind of used, kind of not used. And within the last couple of years, they redeveloped that little area that had been closed off. It's about a, you know, a block, city block long. And they turned it into a green space. They put like a permanent concert stage there. Uh, maybe concert stage is probably stretching it. Like a band stage built a big permanent pavilion. And now they host events down there all summer long when there's tourists here. You know, there's live music every Thursday night out there. And like you said, Chuck, it's all free. You just walk down there. You can now, we have a social district where you can get a drink at a bar and leave and walk down the street. So you can grab a drink and go sit outside during the summer and watch the music. And they'll have like a farmer's market and, you know, they do Oktoberfest and some of the bigger events down there and stuff like that too. It's that green community space, man. Um, that again, I think kind of is, is what Phil is saying he's looking for. It kind of lends itself to those free events that, that you're seeing success with in your town. And I'm, I'm certainly seeing it there in our town as something that has really worked well. Uh, and so I think that idea of gathering place, where you can have these type of events that's on the water is going to be something I think is popular in Cleveland. So Mayor Bibb, there you go. You have now all of our ideas for what you can do in Cleveland. I, I hope it works, man. I, I love what I have seen change in Cleveland since I mean, it's been 20 years since I lived there permanently. I, I love the, che the changes I've seen since then. And it certainly seems to me like, it is headed in a much better direction than it was maybe when we were growing up. But talk about heading in a good direction. Why don't we talk about House of the Dragon for a little bit? Scale of one to five. One being Afterbirth, five being Aegon in the window. Where was episode oh, six on the discomfort scale? Oh, that's, a, that's a tough scale. Man. That's a really tough scale. <laughs> well, maybe it's a five only because... Well, no, you, you, well, at least I didn't see Wang, so maybe that's why it's a five. <laughs> like I knew it was happening, uh, but it's a, it's a, your scale is almost too complicated for me right now. I'm going to say it's a five. I don't even know if you need to stay on the scale. Just generally <laughs> uncomfortable, yeah. uncomfortable episode to watch. Phil, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, your scale is is going from uncomfortable to uncomfortable er. So you know, uh, yeah, it's it, I don't know where it falls on that scale, but it was an uncomfortable but a very good episode. There were a couple of those kind of sprinkled in each season of Game of Thrones, right? We're like, oh my gosh, there's a lot to take in here, and that's exactly how episode six felt. You know, there was all of the birth stuff at the beginning, like sounds. I think I might have been able to smell things through my TV. That was tough. <laughs> Egg on the window, the tongue cutting off thing. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, way, to, way to bring it. Right. Um, so this was the first episode with the older versions of the actors we saw in the first part of the season. What did you think of that change? Honestly, I was I was looking forward to the time jump because I get this, this story moving some more, but I was I was kind of, before I watched the episode, thinking, you know, I really, I really liked the 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 actress that was Renera, I thought she was doing a great job, but I think the replacement actresses have already in one episode. I'm like, huh, these are really good. Like they're doing a really good job with this character. And I I think in a matter of time, I'm gonna forget that there was a younger version of of these two people. Uh, I guess I say that because I'm assuming there's another at least four episodes with with the older actors in it for the season two. I thought they did great. Uh, it was a weird 
it was a weird thing to think about in the midst of the episode. And then afterwards, you know, they, when they do that, the summary of the episode, they kept going back and forth between the young actress and the new actress and those kind of things. So it was kind of weird to do that. I don't know if I've ever seen a show where right at smack yeah. dab in the middle, there's two new human beings I need to look at that are the characters that I've kind of grown to enjoy in the, in the first five episodes. They handled it really well. You guys were looking forward as was I, and I was like, how are they going to handle this 10 year time jump? But I had no question about any character, not just the two females about what's gone on in the last 10 years yeah. with every main character so far. And even the new ones they introduced, which is a testament, I guess, to, to the writing that I knew <laughs> like, other, other than the king, like this, this poor bastard. Yeah, like it's it, uh, but the but, fakest part about a show with dragons in it, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's slowly losing limbs, but he's still around 10 years yeah. later. Uh, but but I, I enjoyed it. And what Phil's saying too, I, I, I think that the two younger actresses did a great job, and these two picked up exactly in especially Hightower built upon uh, at least that character change. So I, I, I didn't miss them if that's. If that's what kind of the question was, I thought they did a nice job with the time jump where I felt like I missed nothing in 10 years. Like I knew everything that happened. I almost kind of lost the actors for the story that was going on in this episode, because what this felt like to me was this felt like the opening episode of a new season of the show where all of a sudden they're going to lay out all the new kind of plot lines and stuff for you. And you really start to look at this this season and say gosh there, there really was a first half and a second half to this season like we resolved all the storylines in the first half you know the king somehow still alive has a new wife has a male heir Rhaenyra is getting married Damon is being dealt with and now we've got a whole new season almost starting and new new plot lines going on for everybody uh, and so I guess I kind of felt like I I was so caught up in trying to follow like where where the story was heading now i mean we all know where it goes i mean it's gonna end you know in war that i i, I kind of felt like ah, i almost feel like i don't know what i think of what these actors did i don't know i, I will watch it again this week for sure uh and maybe I'll, I'll feel differently about it like i usually do after i see it a second time but a great episode no 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 complaints at all i just thought i actually thought it was really cool how they set up almost a whole new set uh, of issues uh, for the second half of the season. All right. What are you hoping for in the next episode? Well, I guess the way episode six ended, what I'm looking forward to now, uh, this is a, a spoiler alert for anyone listening. Now that Renera and Damon have both in one episode lost <laughs> the the people they were spending their lives with, so to speak. And they're, you know, Renera ends up with her family. They're a dragonstone. I want to, I guess I'm, this is where I feel like, all right, we're going to circle right back to those two, Damon and Renera. Is that, is that one's, I, I, again, I didn't read the books. Is that one side of this family and where, where they start to draw that, draw that line and, and kind of uh, build their lineage on that side between those two. I don't know. I, I think that's what's coming. It looks like it anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like it's been a tough 10 years for Renera, but kind of, I don't want to say deserved, but she's always, you know, like she's a born leader, but she can't play the political end of it. And it's, it's been her downfall to, to how last episode ended. Um, so does it make sense for her and her uncle, who's now a girl dad, good for that guy, man, you know, like <laughs> girl dad. for them to, you know, like you're, you're going to see, you're seeing these battle lines drawn. So what, what I'm looking forward to is the hand son. What is his name? Is it Lars or something like that? 
like I, I don't know if there's a bigger cunt right now than that guy except for, like yeah. you know like what happened there was they gave us a awful lot in that episode and yeah. i don't know if we're focusing on the wrong characters by saying what's going to go on with damon and like you know they're going to be there at some point but to see how like a guy kills his dad and his brother yeah um yeah is it aragon is that the oldest son how do you pronounce his the the, the guy Aegon. masturbating in the one a- like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, like where the other guy is like, like he's a massive and i don't know how that guy is supposed to be in charge of anything so i'm interested to see now like you know especially with the guy from the replacements laying in wait for 10 years that's what i want to see how he returns and kind of takes over the hand i'm assuming again that's what it looks like oh, and reinforcing his daughter's position who really is in charge it's not the king anymore uh, it's her what i'm looking forward to is king viserius he really is trying to keep things from getting ugly like he's so happy when he thinks that they're going to like kind of like make up and marry their families and, and and solve this problem that has been created. And he's doing so much to keep the realm together uh, and everybody's a huge pain in his ass and, and he can't keep up with it. His body's falling apart. Uh, I'd like to see if he's got like one move left in him. I don't think that he does, but um, I appreciate his effort uh, real quick. Worst fantasy league ever. Gerber trade report. I was not able to complete a trade this week. I offered Miller, Josh Allen, Ezekiel Elliott, and my kicker. Um, my third round pick for next year as well for Derrick Henry and his kicker. Um, Miller wanted to make the trade, but we couldn't figure out how to do it on the app, so it didn't work out. <laughs> Who's your MVFP, your most valuable fantasy player for the week? My MVFP is uh, Devontae Smith. Had 169 yards of receiving and one touchdown. Nearly 32 points sitting squarely on my bench. Which makes me believe that he's the kind of player I need on my team. I benched him for this game, and he still came out and delivered. Uh, it's it's me. I am my most valuable player this week because in a torrential downpour, knowing that uh, Justin Herbert may not play, I did actually alter my lineup and put I Derek Carr as my starter. So um, not that he had a great game, but uh, the fact that I was paying attention enough this week – uh, to make that change, I am my most valuable player. I'm going to give it to Josh Allen, who took the possible trade rumors like a true pro, still came out and performed, put up 80. That is the kind of guy we need leading us until next week when I try to unload him and fix what I think are bigger problems in my lineup. But boys, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that the NFL announced it was replacing the Pro Bowl with a week-long skills challenge. With that news that even bad things can get worse, I hope you guys have a great week. And let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. Whiz bang's back, baby. It's gonna yeah, be I was about to football. say there's a flag oh, football event. Well, maybe we'll get the right? band yeah. back yeah. together. <laughs> Or Phil, whose turn is it? I if you want Chuck to take them all again, go. go no, Chuck. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, actually, I actually think I have someone that you didn't mention. And let's start with week three storylines. There are currently only. Th- Did I just say week three? Did I mention that we're going to be talking about the NFL? <laughs> Why don't we start again? <laughs> 
clearly will do that in the AFC. Um, clearly will do that in the NFC. About halfway through our last segment, like I started to feel it feel like really like sick, like like the flu or <laughs> no. something like that coming yeah. out. I have, like your eyeballs I hurt. Had... My eyeballs started to hurt today. That usually means I'm getting, getting yeah dizzy. something. I I I'm coming down like I'm in a weakened state probably from this weekend and the, like some bug has has gotten me like right now. So this is gonna be Uh-oh. um this is like my Jordan flu game. Going feed you the ball. Yeah. Worst loss of the year. I'm sorry. Worst loss of the week last week. Team that makes you excited. Whose turn is it? I can't remember. Yours. Yeah. <laughs> you. <laughs> he's he's got an unbelievable Hall of Fame resident re- resume. I almost said residency, like he's gonna work there uh, in perpetuity. <laughs> Anyway, he, does, uh, he might. Have like a, he's yeah. gonna have a show. Yeah, like it could be a greeter <laughs> at the door. You know, whatever. Uh, he's tied for first with average. That's why I would say like he'd only sort of win it. He'd have to share it with another dude for just for the average port of. I don't know. Anyway, Chuck, I'm sorry, you already answered. I did. Fucking a. <laughs> How many chill patches do you have on right now? <laughs> None. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. In a larger community like Cleveland, too. Chuck, oh. you went to you first. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I went to Phil first. I meant to go to Phil. Fucking you A. <laughs> you can't, you combine them both, uh, us both in that. So we got a right. cool chill. That's a cool, that's better than chunt. Yeah. Chuck and Phil together. Yeah. Chill. That's chill. pretty good. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> Did you guys hear Herb Street actually used the word chunt on accident <laughs> in the call of the Great. game? Yeah, he's like, Chun, Chun's running really well. And he's like, oh, excuse me, I mean Chun. I'm like, no, you, no, you meant that. <laughs> All right, I can answer that question if you like. <laughs> I would. Um, but boys, we are out of time. I am out of questions. I am out of questions for now. And... I rewatched the game because amazingly, I couldn't recall many details. <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, I know. It was Thursday all night. pretty gray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, but I do remember it being windy as f. Yeah. So there yes. was yeah. weather that played up. There was a lot of wind. Um, but you forget how that, that game was still kind of in question till the very end. It was a six point game. And then we had that, that yeah. last yeah. second defensive touchdown. Yeah. So you, you're watching that game and you're thinking, oh, even though I knew the outcome, I'm like, all right, here we go. We're down. We're up six. That yeah. seems like a touchdown, yeah. an extra point away from losing this thing. Yeah. But they, but Pittsburgh looked terrible in the second half. I mean, we yeah. held them to three point. They couldn't get, they couldn't get anything going. Um, And you know what? Like, you know, Tommy was saying like during the game, like, why, why is this, why is this always happened to us? Why can't we just put somebody away? Why do we always get into these, you know, got to recover an onside kick type of moments. I just think that's the NFL, like 65, yeah. 70% of the time. I don't think that's us. Look at what happened in that, that Detroit, Minnesota game this yeah. weekend. And I don't know, almost every game, it seems like uh, Tampa and uh, green Bay, Bay came down yeah. to the end like that too. Yeah. You know, it's just Miami it's the way and the NFL Buffalo. Is. Yeah. 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 
Um, yeah, you're right. It's just the NFL. So Tommy's just bitching about stupid <laughs> shit. <laughs> Not too many teams put other teams away on a weekly basis. Like they'll oh, have yeah. it, but it, yeah. yeah, most yeah. games are a one score decision, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Well, so going down to Atlanta though, I'm told their defense is awful. Like probably the worst defense we faced in this young season. So you think that could be one of those games Gosh. too? Like just run through them, then, right? Yeah. It's just one of those things. This this proves we don't know anything about the NFL because <laughs> they played some teams that we thought were going to be good. They've played them really tough. How can they do that with Marcus Mariota as their quarterback and a terrible defense? They have that scored. Make any goddamn sense. None of this makes sense. They've so I heard this driving over uh, to to see my kids tonight too. They've scored eighty two points so far in this young season, which is like amongst the top in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, and they've sure. given up, they've oh. given up 81. <laughs> they've scored 82 and given up 81. So I was like, okay, Steven. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so I, who knows? I, I, I think a big, a big, I don't mind Phillips Phillips being out there in linebacker. I think a big deal this week is, right. can, is JOK. Okay. Yeah. Hey, that works out pretty well. Is JOK okay? That should be a segment. Um, because that's the kind of linebacker we need out there against a, a Mariota kind of offense, right? Where there's a lot of movement and that kind of stuff. Mariota type of offense? Yeah, he's going to run more than he throws. There is no such thing, man. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. He's going to run. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Marcus Mariota like running eight eight yards downfield on every other play. No. Like just I feel like stop. I'm watching two Mariota offenses right now in this Monday night football game. What's the score? Is it still six three? The scoring six, has exploded. Six. It's 13 oh, 13. 13 13. I Ooh, missed the explosion. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Did you see the uh, Andre and Shaw interview like in the locker room when they were celebrating? I didn't see him oh. talk to Shaw. I saw him some of the interviews, but I didn't oh. see that. It was really good. Like he, he just kind of said, Hey, you know, like all these young guys in the bullpen, all they do is talk really great about you and um, about what great advice you give. And <clears throat> Shaw's, you know, like wearing the biggest goggles you've ever seen, like congrats to new era for getting their logo all over the place. <laughs> yeah. But he was just like, you know, what do you think? And he said, well, I, when I came up, I had guys who were great mentors and they did that for me. And I'm just kind of trying to do the same thing and and leaving the game better than I found it. And he said, but uh, I'm not going to be around forever. I only have like seven to 10 more years of this. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, he's, he's absolutely back next year. He's yeah, absolutely yeah. back, man. Yeah. I can't believe that, but he's, but he is. I think you have to be in the NFL to oh, play in the game. Are you sure? Allowed to just go. We, we had we have an NFL sponsored championship to our name, though. It was a championship. We should that be able to get in that NFL sponsored. <laughs> that is loose yeah. with the language. <laughs> no, no, no. That year was NFL sponsored when we won the whole thing. Well, it's not like they were sponsoring us. They sponsored the tournament that we paid to play in, Semantics. and we won it. <laughs> I don't see where your problem with this is. Why why aren't we playing flag football against the NFL players? Oh man, you don't see the problem with that? How much fun would that be? I can see several problems with that. <laughs> well, they can't tackle us. <laughs>
funny. Funny like a clown near the museum.